The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Once a week we get together to discuss all the big news and notes from Stamford Bridge and it being Chelsea, we're rarely short of content. On this episode, we'll talk Thomas Tuchel as the new Blues boss settles into life as Chelsea head coach. There are wins and clean sheets to reflect on too, as well as two games to preview. We'll doff our metaphorical caps to the women's team after they became record breakers and answer your questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hello listener, hope you're well. Matt Davis-Adams here once again, joined by The Athletic's front three. Simon Johnson is with us. Hi there. So to Dominic Fifield. Hello, Matt. Uh, and of course, Liam Toomey. Uh, Liam, it was a delight to see you live and in living colour at the bridge on Sunday. Uh, and then you went viral with uh, a tweet, this tweet about Robbie Brady and Sean Dyche's exchange. If anybody missed it, this is how it went. Uh, Dyche to Brady after that last hudson Adoy overlap. Robbie, tune in. Brady, I know where he effing is. I just can't stop him. What do you want me to do? This must be a rare treat, Liam, this kind of thing in in these days of supporterless stadiums. We, we were kind of hoping there'd be a bit more of it, I think, but but it was worth the wait in this case. Yeah, no no one was hoping, I think, more so than Don Fifield, who was tasked <laughs> with writing a long read earlier in the season about the things that players said on the pitch. Um, and we, I think we quickly found that interesting comments were quite few and far between, but... That one, as soon as I saw it, I mean, it, it cracked me up in the moment, but it, it stuck in my mind just because it was it was such a funny, honest exchange. You don't usually hear that kind of refreshing honesty on the football pitch. Having seen the, the sequence of play that, that kind of led to it, I, I sympathise with Brady as well because <laughs> he did know where Hudson-Odoi was. Hudson-Odoi <laughs> gave him about a two or three yard head start in a chase for a pass from Mason Mount and just beat him easily because he's faster. So I could understand Deitch's frustration in the moment, but I could also understand Brady's uh, sense of helplessness. And I think it was quite a quite an interesting exchange just because it was it, it was indicative of the kind of broader helplessness that, that Burnley felt during that game as Chelsea just passed the ball around them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Dom, did you mainly find that, that the things that you hear are shoulders, space, seconds? That that seems to have been the big three that I've heard in these um, supporterless games. It has been it has been quite disappointing. I, I went to the bridge last last week in the hope that I might be able to hear what Thomas Tuchel was saying, and found myself shoved in the top right hand corner of the stadium, um, about as far away as I possibly could be from the dugout. Um, it is it is the sad reality of life at the moment. But um, but there you go. Yeah, you know, we there haven't been any revelations, but that that is a nice little nice little quirk. And you imagine that during a during a game, even with crowd, that this this kind of exchange must happen quite a lot, particularly from harassed fullbacks as as wingers pour at them all the time. Uh, well, that quote formed the intro to Liam's post Burnley piece. We'll discuss that match next. Uh, success is also to make the, 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 the stadium happy. People should be excited to come to Stamford Bridge. People should be excited to watch our team. People should be excited and, and feel that the team plays with a special kind of energy and, and, and atmosphere. These are also the, the soft points of, of success. But in the end, um, we don't need to talk around a lot at Chelsea. We play for trophies and titles. 
So last week we recorded our Farewell Frank episode. Do check that out in the archives if you haven't yet. Uh, we mentioned then that Thomas Tuchel was the man coming in. Of course, that's what happened. Uh, we'll talk about his first two games in charge together as we go. We'll look for any similarities and indeed differences. First, though, um, his his introductory press conference. Who covered that for The Athletic? Um, myself and Liam. How do you think he did, Don? Was he fairly cheery, fairly optimistic, not having a pop at Liam about stuff? <laughs> that, that's to come. Um, he he was he was very impressive. I thought really really impressive. Um, uh, I'm giving of his time and some good good answers there. Um, I thought I thought there was. I know we'll probably come onto this later. And my uh, my assertion that uh, he was an accident waiting to happen, which which seems to have <laughs> been been uh, leapt upon, but. I thought he was very honest with some of his responses and he, he almost, well, he did admit that, that working up and managing up in a club is something that he needs to work on still, which I thought was quite uh, quite canny thing to, to come out with at this stage and, and almost nips that in the in the bud very early on. Um, I was I was really impressed with him. He said some great, exactly what you want to hear in terms of, of, of Frank Lampard and he, he sort of recognises how wounded a lot of people around the club and associated with the club have been by by the divorce from from Frank Lampard um, and and mentioning the the message exchange that he'd had with Frank um, on that 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 morning I thought was 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 quite quite clever uh, excellent in terms of Mason Mount and and Billy Gilmore and, and and just being realistic I mean he's not come in and said oh yeah we're going to win the Premier League he's he's come in and said it's going to be difficult to to win the Premier League this season but top four is is still very much our target and we can achieve that. Simon, it can often be quite an anxious time around a football club when a, when a new manager comes in. Have you got much of a sense of the mood around around Cobham and Stamford Bridge over the last week? Is it, is it kind of still mourning the departure of Lampard or, or have things moved on by now? I, I think it's a, a classic scenario, Matt, of um, a new arrival being good news for some people and, and perhaps disappointing news relatively, I hasten to add, for, for, for others. Um, in, inevitably it's a clean slate now and that brings excitement uh, for people that have been out of the picture um, but perhaps sort of some decisions being made that are already going to start to raise a few eyebrows put it that way but I think it, it, it has had a galvanising effect already I th- you only had to see the way the team performed against Burnley to see that that's the best performance Chelsea put in not that saying that much um, for a couple of months um, but I just think this is a a work in progress in terms of the atmosphere around around the club um, people that were ostracised and perhaps disappointed before might be replaced by other people but for the time being, inevitably, whenever a new manager comes in, overall the 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 vibe is a positive one because it's a, it's a fresh start and everyone's looking to impress the new coach. Uh, Liam, if we get to matters on the pitch, you've written about Tuchel's tactics against Wolves. You, you also went big on Callum Hudson Odoi's uh, positioning involvement, etc., against Burnley. Can you can you tell us in layman's terms what what you've noticed about how Tuchel set up this Chelsea team and and were there any key differences between the two games? Yes, I think the the underpinning principle across the two games that Tuchel seems to have placed an early emphasis on is just controlling games through possession. Uh, and I think we saw, particularly in the in the latter part of the Lampard era, that that controlling games was becoming more and more of a problem, um, and that the structure of the team would break down in key moments. And so, 
that seems to have been what Tuchel has made his first priority. Um, and you could see in, in both matches against Wolves and against Burnley, when Chelsea attack, the the base of, of three defenders is always there. Jorginho and Kovacic, you know, they, they take turns to kind of probe in possession, but they are quite conservative with their positioning. And so it means that Chelsea are much better equipped to um, kind of snuff out counter-attacks. And Wolves had a couple of moments um, in the game at Stamford Bridge, notably that Pedro Neto chance, which actually came from, you know, an individual mistake from Edouard Mendy. But in the main, Chelsea controlled them pretty well and they they didn't give Burnley a, a sniff of their goal from open play or from set pieces. It was very impressive how, how well they were able to control all aspects of the game. And what we saw against Burnley as well was a development in what Chelsea could do with the ball, uh, in that they they were creating a much steadier stream of chances than they managed to against Wolves. And a lot of that came through the right-hand side, where one of Tuchel's biggest decisions so far has been to play Callum Hudson-Odoi as almost a, a false wing-back. He, he lines up in that position that you know Victor Moses played under Antonio Conte, but... In these two games, he hasn't spent much time defending. He's basically been a true right winger, hugging the touchline, stretching the defence as, as wide across the pitch as possible. And the way Chelsea were set up, he always had opportunities to 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 go at his man one-on-one on the overlap or, you know, when poor Robbie Brady was, was required to track back to, to try and help Eric Peters, he, he tormented him as well. So... Um, he's been a key factor in a lot of the best chances that, that Chelsea have made across these two games. And it's it's a very interesting development given that he wasn't getting regular starts before. He seems to be pretty central to what Tuchel is doing. Yeah, obviously the um, the team sheets for both games much anticipated. Plenty of surprises in terms of personnel in each of them. Mount, Abraham, Pulisic, Werner, James all benched against Wolves. Three of that five then restored against Burnley. Um, Don, what's been the what's been the biggest surprise for you? Marcos Alonso popping up on Sunday, maybe, or, or somebody else left out? As well as Callum Hudson Odoi has done, I'm, I was surprised that that Reece James has hasn't started either of those two games. Um, but you know, obviously Hudson Odoi justified his selection so well against Wolves that he was always going to presumably start the second match. Um, Marcos Alonso, yes, I, I, I liked the the pragmatic approach from from Tuchel in selecting Alonso, partly because of his height against a a strong physical Burnley team who would be a threat from set plays. Now, it's a benefit from coming in with a clean slate at a new club that you can do that. I mean, Frank Lampard would not have picked Marcus Alonso for that fixture. He he wasn't someone that that he was considering following the fallout post-West Bromwich Albion in the autumn. But the fact that that Tuchel could, could turn to a player that was is comfortable playing in the in the three four two one or whatever the, 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 the tweaked formation is as a wing back. Um, he's a goal threat as he proved with that fantastic shot and 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 uh, volley against um, against Burnley. Um, but is also going to be someone that is competing the air against Burnley's bigger forwards. I thought that was a huge benefit. I mean, look, just as as Liam says about Callum Hudson Odoi being high up the pitch in the Wolves game. You could argue that uh, Ben Chilwell was was just as high on the other side. There was there was a moment in in the first half, I think it was, where Thiago Silva picked the ball up 
on the edge of his own penalty area, progressed forward to, towards the halfway line, pinged a pass, and it was Chilwell who was caught offside. So Chelsea have, have really been pinning both of these these wing backs really far up the pitch, and you know Marcus Alonso will be an asset in that position. It's it's really when he's tested defensively that that there'll be there'll be issues. And um, to date, given that Chelsea have had seventy one percent and seventy eight point nine percent of possession in these two matches under Tuchel, it's uh, that hasn't been an issue. So Alonso in, Simon, a couple of notable absentees. Ben Chilwell dropped to the bench. Not sure how he'd feel after that £50 million fullback. And Hakim Ziyech not even in the squad for the for the Burnley game. That was a big surprise. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and Tuco explained it afterwards, sort of saying that uh, it was all about um, being in that danger zone of picking up an injury, that there was a discussion had that perhaps he could have come on for 30 minutes, but they decided between them that perhaps it's best um, that he might as well get his rest now. Uh, he was talking about his workload over the last five weeks. A little bit concerning, I have to say, because Zayesh hasn't played an enormous amount, but perhaps that's a, that's a sign of the injury issues he's had this season, that he's, he's not been able to put those run of games together and there is concern that he might break down again. Um it would be very interesting to see just sort of how much Zayesh is is fitted into this team because at the moment it does seem to be quite a bit of rotation potentially, but in the attacking positions um, already we're seeing something sort of set in stone a little bit. Um, I am a big fan of Zayesh, but it looks like Tuka really wants to play with pace and that's not something associated with Zayesh. But he's not afraid to leave out the big signings, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, Havertz... Um, was of course left out against Burnley. Um, came on as a late sub. Chilwell, as you as you rightly say, Matt, I'm sure his his eyebrows went up when he saw the team sheet. Tuchel's already getting everybody on their toes, um, which is kind of what I was saying earlier. That everyone is now sort of left in no uncertain terms. There's no favourites. You really you do have to win him over. And I think sort of going back to the question you asked me early on, actually, training I think has really been given a bit of an injection. The stories you were hearing about what was going on in, in Lampard's training sessions, um, there was certainly weren't many positive vibes coming out of them by the end. And I, I just think Tuchel on the, the sort of some of the uh, uh, unusual practices, like for example, getting the players to train with small balls, um, as we as we saw images of. I, I just think that's uh, that's just woken everybody up to perhaps a, a new way of thinking, and and like I said, sort of given an injection into this season when uh, Chelsea was starting to flounder. And actually, Dom, does it maybe hint that it might be a bit more of a meritocracy than it was under Frank Lampard? You know, you banged the drum last season for Olivier Giroud's inclusion a lot earlier than it was. We saw Tony Rudiger totally bombed out the squad earlier this season, then then brought straight back in. It, this is the kind of thing that happens with a manager, isn't it? You know, every, everybody starts from, from zero again. Yeah, absolutely. And and he has a, Tuchel has a reputation for chopping and changing and, and keeping opponents as as well as his own players on their toes i mean no one knows the selection that's uh, that's going to be they're going to be confronting when it comes to a, a Tuchel team so so yeah absolutely that that will be the case he has to have a a period where he gets purely gets to know his new players i mean i wonder for example when he when he came in the the noises were that that billy gilmore would go out on loan but maybe a couple of training sessions in Thomas Tuchel suddenly become properly aware of just how good this kid is 
and that he could play a, a part for him um, this season. So maybe that loan isn't quite as an appealing option um, for, for Tuchel and for Chelsea now. But that's just natural. That's just him coming into a completely new environment and having to, to pick a team after one training session um, for all the you know the background research that he he may have been able to to do ahead of that Wolves game, um, and he's, it's going to take a while for him to gauge his his options and 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 work out whether he actually wants a first choice team. Maybe he feels he has enough bodies to to chop and change pretty regularly over what will be a a, a lot of fixtures in the coming weeks. Uh, we'll get some Twitter questions now from listeners. Dom's mentioned Billy Gilmore there. We had one from at Hot Cross Nuns asking about whether a Gilmore loan was likely. Judging on what Dom's just said and David Ornstein's column in The Athletic this morning, he's going to stay and fight for his place. Um, Liam, there's definitely game time there for him, isn't there? You know, Chelsea's still fighting on, on three fronts and, and he's somebody who can, who can come in and quite naturally cover for somebody like Jorginho. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've seen with what Tuchel has has done with Hudson Odoi in these first two games that he is fully prepared to to trust young players and give them prominent roles in the team that he's building um the biggest issue for Gilmore has always been the, the biggest issue which is just the sheer amount of competition that Chelsea have and there's no suggesting that Tuchel will be tied to the system that he played against Wolves and Burnley but if he does continue to play with kind of two central controlling midfielders, then Gilmore has to compete with Kovacic, Jorginho and the partnership they have. And also, of course, N'Golo Kante, who Tuchel has taken every opportunity to to lavish praise on. So that's probably the, the concern. But you could also make the argument with Gilmore that he's better served in terms of his immediate development, training under Tuchel, learning what Tuchel wants from him, in that position rather than maybe going somewhere else on loan even if he gets regular playing time and being asked to do totally different things in a in a totally different team so it's it's not always as as black and white as playing regularly or not i think development can happen in a number of ways it's quite an interesting thing with gilmore because from our understanding he was going to have a conversation with frank lampard um last week um, about whether he should stay or go, of course it was Lampard that went. <laughs> so, so that so that kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons to start with. But he was, and, and this is where the sort of change of manager has just moved the goalpost quite a bit in terms of the squad. Is that suddenly there there are there are sort of like all oh, you know sort of what situation now because there's a new man in West Ham were a club that were in for Gilmore, but because they signed Jesse Lingard. That's their second Premier League loan, and that deal was dead. I think there was a suggestion that he might still push for a loan because he's so worried about trying to make this Scotland squad for the Euros, which is totally understandable. But clearly, he's had some kind of reassurance that he will get game time. I'm I'm still sort of wondering how much game time he'll get because uh, clearly, Tuchel likes um, Jorginho and Kovacic, and and sometimes, as Liam said. Conte's got to come in at some point. You're not going to leave a player of that calibre on the on the bench. So maybe the FA Cup um, is a starting point for Gilmore to to really sort of try and convince Tuchel that he should be a starter. But yeah, I'm, I'm just a bit concerned for him that he's actually not going to get that much game time between now and May. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, Simon, somebody else I wanted to ask you about is Tammy Abraham. We've had a, a question from Matish asking, is Abraham anywhere close to signing a new deal? I get the feeling Chelsea will sell him if they can replace him with Haaland. I, I kind of feel like Tammy's been one of the big losers over the last week. You know, he went from scoring a hat-trick against Luton in the FA Cup to getting subbed off at half-time on Sunday. And, and it was kind of stark looking at the other end of the pitch and the way Chris Wood was holding the ball up and then, and then watching Tammy not really being able to do it. Do you think that... You know, he might be one that gets moved out before too long. I think that's t- too early to say. I mean, it, yeah, you're right to highlight it wasn't it wasn't a great 45 minutes by any means. Um, and in terms of his contract, don't forget that he, he's already triggered triggered a clause to extend it. Um, someone actually told me that it was by a couple of years, not just by one year. So there's there's no rush in terms of a contract extension. But yeah, clearly, if there's any kind of sniff of of, of Haaland coming in, then that that will make not just sort of Chelsea think about the situation, but Tammy Abraham. One should also highlight that Olivier Giroud, one one would imagine this is his last hurrah, as it were, in a Chelsea shirt this season. Um, so will Chelsea really want to get rid of two strikers in in, in the same window? I, I very much doubt it. So I, I think it's too early to sort of say, yes, Tammy Abraham and, and Thomas Tuchel don't mix. Um, yeah, he's got to raise his game and I'm sure he will. And, let, let's not forget he's had a pretty good season up to now. Yeah, we're recording the show on the morning of deadline day, so apologies if, if Abraham gets sold last minute. That would be very, <laughs> very, very podcasty and very Chelsea as well. Um, well, Sunday's win gave the Blues a much-needed boost, not just in terms of their league position, but also ahead of one of the biggest games of the season. We'll preview that and the weekend fixture at Sheffield United next. Uh, the traditional Thursday 8pm slot. That's when Chelsea will play Spurs at the still can't find a sponsor willing to meet Daniel Levy's asking price. So we'll just call it the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Dom, Thomas Tuchel made a bit of an error at that at that press conference when he spoke about supporting Spurs as a kid. Uh, there's one way he can quickly rectify that, I guess. I, that's a bit unfair, to be honest. I think it was put to him that he had, he had previously mentioned, I think whilst he was in charge of Borussia Dortmund and they played Tottenham, uh, his his allegiance as a kid, where he he sort of latched onto the rather glamorous name Tottenham Hotspurs, um, and none of the other kids in the neighbourhood that he was he was growing up in had any idea who they were. So there was a sort of romanticism to a link to the name that was put to him. Oh, you are a Spurs fan, and he I thought he dealt with it pretty well, to be honest. I mean, he he pretty he pretty much stressed that it's been made very very clear to him that this is this is a game that Chelsea have to win and they they have to perform against Spurs and actually when you look at it it's not a bad time to be playing Tottenham is it I mean they were so so poor against Brighton on on Sunday I mean really dreadful performance um completely disjointed they they look they look a team that's been knocked off kilter by the absence of Harry Kane as as you know as he would be he's a he's a world class performer but they don't appear to have any any sort of combination or any any means of getting getting by without him i think they tried five different forwards in in the game at the amex and, and Mourinho for i think the third time on the bounce lost the match and following up from the 
the heavy defeat to Liverpool a few days earlier, that they they are a team that's that's been drawn back towards mid table as opposed to pushing for for the European places. That almost the momentum is uh, going in the opposite direction to to that that at Chelsea. Can I quickly add on Spurs because I know how much um, XG news is appreciated in this <laughs> forum in particular. Um, according to the XG philosophy, which is a very popular Twitter account, uh, Tottenham total just 0.59 expected goals in their two matches this week against Liverpool and against Brighton. So they are really, really struggling. Do you think there'll be any any Tuchel tactical changes for this game? I mean, I'm thinking maybe even going more attacking to try and prey on the uh, the vulnerability of Spurs at the moment. There's nothing in Tuchel's history that suggests he will be tied to this system. He's not a one-formation manager and he is known for for tweaking things. I mean, you saw against Burnley, you know, taking Abraham off at half-time, bringing on Pulisic, a completely different type of attacker, when Chelsea had just gone 1-0 up, uh, was a very bold decision. A lot of coaches would have been content to just leave things as they were in that situation. Uh, So uh, nothing really would surprise me. But having said that, you would think in terms of style and the way that they'll set up for this game, Tottenham could actually be quite similar to Wolves and Burnley um, in that it'll be a low block, um, defending quite narrow and then trying to hit Chelsea on the break with the with, with the speed of Son, uh, which now appears to be their, you know, their only real threat without Harry Kane. And that three-man defence with the, with the, midfield pairing in front of them has given Chelsea a really solid base. It wouldn't surprise me if Tuchel kept with um, the same formation just for this game, because uh, we've already seen as well that a back three and wing backs have worked against Mourinho Spurs in the recent past. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised also to see certain tweaks elsewhere, maybe a slightly different look to the attack because Tuchel has already shown he's not afraid to, to mix things up in that half of the pitch. Simon, I'm fairly sure that this will be the first time that, that Tuchel and Mourinho have been in, in opposing dugouts. Do you think Jose will be a bit peeved that he can't play on the emotions of the, the current Chelsea boss in, in the way that he maybe could with Frank? <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule anything out as far as Mourinho is concerned. <laughs> um, and also, um, I, I think he's probably more miffed that he's not playing the Chelsea of sort of a, a week ago um, when things were looking very sort of miserable and 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 so on and so forth. I think any club would want to play a team with you know when when it's in a negative spiral as opposed to one that is now, as I said earlier, sort of galvanised by a new coach and and players trying to impress their new coach. One was getting the impression by the end of the Lampard era that that players had well you hesitate to use the word downing tools, but let's just say you weren't sort of seeing players putting in the same kind of effort as they were on Sunday. So I think Marino, yeah, he'll just be disappointed to be facing a, a Chelsea team with a bit more confidence. And also, I think Marino's got to focus on his own problems. I mean, maybe he'll deflect. He's under a lot of pressure himself. The Spurs fans are getting increasingly agitated, not just by the results, but the style of play. Um, a win against Chelsea will will definitely sort of take some of the pressure off off him and boost Tottenham's top four hopes in the process. This is a huge game. It's a totally different context to the first game where the buzz around both clubs were about possible title contention. Now this is all about almost like a top four playoff because you, you look at the you look at the table as it is, 
Man City are going to sprint away in the distance. Liverpool as well, one would imagine. Manchester United sort of seem to have this ability to win games even when they're not playing well. It feels to me, with sort of just just under half a season to go, that there's one Champions League spot up for grabs. One has to sort of question Leicester's ability to hang on after what happened last season. We, we saw a shock defeat for them on Sunday against Leeds. So... Chelsea and Spurs, the winners of this will be really fancying their chances of uh, not only beating each other to that top four spot, but giving them the lift they need to reel in Leicester City. Chelsea unbeaten in 90 minutes in the last six meetings against Tottenham. Of course, Spurs won a shootout in the League Cup earlier this season. Uh, So after that game, it's Sheffield United on Sunday night. Um, Dom, this is a much more dangerous fixture than it looked a fortnight or so ago, isn't it? They've won at Old Trafford, only narrowly beaten at City. And even though Chelsea beat them fairly handily at Stamford Bridge, that was the exception rather than the rule. Even though they're, they're bottom with eight points, nobody's been thumping them. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we spoke about Sheffield United a month or so back and I think made the point that, that a lot of their defeats were very, very narrow 1-0 defeats or one-goal defeats. And that at some point, it, it almost felt feasible that they might go on some kind of an inexplicable winning streak, even from a position, apparently hopeless position at the bottom of the division. And I think we're seeing that now. Prior to their game at, at Manchester City uh, on Saturday, they, they'd won four out of uh, five in all competitions. Admittedly, you know, there are two games there against lower league opposition in the uh, FA Cup, but they've, they, they're competing better Um some of the old problems are still there. They're, they're, they lack a ruthlessness in front of goal. But the very fact that they can they kept Manchester City really at arm's length um, at the Etihad this weekend and losing only narrowly 1-0. And then, the, you know, if you go back a few days and they, they're winning at Old Trafford um, against Manchester United. I know everybody wins at Old Trafford, um, but... <laughs> but that was a that was a real eye catching result and and a, a real boost to them. I, I suspect that it's all happening a bit too late for them. I mean, they do need a, rem- a remarkable number of points per game average for the remainder of the season to to stand any real chance of of getting up to thirty six uh, points, which would be surely enough to to stay in the division. But yeah, they they, they do pose a threat because there is a bit more confidence about them that they're playing West Brom at home on Tuesday. You know. At the moment, you'd imagine they might get a result in that game. In which case, they will take some momentum into the into the Chelsea game. And and we all remember what happened in the post lockdown match at Bramall Lane at the end of last season. It's a it's a game where Chelsea have to be on their metal. Yeah, Chelsea didn't really play Sheffield United well home or away last season. Of course, the Stamford Bridge game was the the, the two two um, that prompted Lampard to to change things around a bit. Sheffield United, I think, have been in a really false position in the table for for quite a long time this year. They've they've been on the end of a a lot of close defeats, um, and they've always been a, a really well coached team by Chris Wilder that that play an, an unorthodox system that throws quite a lot of teams off when they play them. And um, their big concern has just been not scoring goals. But we saw even in the game that they lost at Stamford Bridge earlier this year with that really well-worked corner. I think that that showed the the attention to detail that Wilder has and just how much he gets out of what is really, in terms of pure talent, quite a limited group of players at Premier League level. Uh, Simon, Ethan Ampadu's been getting good reviews of late. He's not going to be able to play in this game due to the terms of his loan. 
Difficult to predict, obviously, what we've been talking about with Billy Gilmore's too, but do you think that he's got a future as a Chelsea player? Oh, yeah, I think anything's possible. I don't want to sound like a... Like my record is broken, but um, <laughs> just sitting with Thomas Tuchel, like everything is now back on for everybody. Um, there's a chance for everyone. Of course, we've got to wait for... He'll be sort of waiting for pre-season and his chance to impress Thomas Tuchel then um, in terms of in the flesh. There's undoubtedly been an upsurge in his performance at Sheffield United. He was he was um, much criticised by the fans, I noticed, Sheffield United fans on, on Twitter, um, that lovely uh, gauge of fan <laughs> reaction um, on a regular basis. But they, but he, but there's been far more positive chat around him. I think the, the perhaps the most positive thing that's happened for Ethan Ampadu's future prospects at Chelsea is what's not happening with Declan Rice. Of course, that was a that was a player that Frank Lampard very much wanted. Um, at the moment, that seems very much dead in the water with with Lampard going. You can imagine that if he'd arrived, then inevitably you'd have to ask whether Ampadu's path to the first team had been immeasurably blocked because Rice could play centre-back and, and as the holding midfielder, just as Ethan Ampadu can do. It's up to Ethan Ampadu now over the next few months to keep putting in these solid performances, trying to catch Tuchel's eye. But like I said, pre-season will be when decisions will be made about what, what happens to Ampadu next season, whether he goes on loan again or perhaps is brought into the first-team squad picture. Yeah, going to be fascinating to see. Uh, that Sheffield United game, by the way, 7.15pm UK time, the kickoff for that on Sunday. We'll react to it in next week's pod. Uh, next today, we salute the Chelsea women's team. So, since we last spoke, Emma Hayes' Chelsea have set a record for the longest unbeaten run in the history of the Women's Super League. They achieved that landmark courtesy of a 4-0 win against Aston Villa at Walsall on Wednesday of last week. They followed that up with another 4-0 success against Spurs on Sunday. Means they're now 33 league games without defeat, a run that stretches back over two years. Uh, here's Joe McKeague asking, is Chelsea's undefeated streak more indicative of Chelsea slash Emma Hayes' quality or the lengths left to go in the development of women's football. Uh, what do you think, Liam? I think the second interpretation would be a bit harsh because there are some very good teams in the WSL that aren't Chelsea. Other clubs that are investing heavily to sign players from from all over the world. And, that, you know, there is a clear drop-off within the WSL once you get past Man City, Arsenal, Manchester United to the rest of the division. Um but Chelsea certainly have competition. And when you're talking about a streak as long as 33 games, you know, that encompasses big matches against all those teams as well. So I think primarily um, it's a badge of honour for, for what Emma Hayes has managed to build and the culture of relentless winning um, that she's managed to establish over a much longer period than this. Um the other thing to, to say is there's an excellent piece from our women's football writer Katie Wyatt up on the site at the moment, which compares the current Chelsea team and and their long unbeaten streak to um, the other Arsenal in, invincibles, the Arsenal women of 2006-07 who won the Premier League, the FA Cup and the Champions League. And yeah, that, that that's a really good piece with some context on on their achievements as well. So I'd advise everyone to go and read that. But that's the level that Chelsea are operating on now. And and this season, I think, will be judged on not just the WSL, but on the cup competitions and in particular on the Champions League, which has always been the holy grail for Emma Hayes um, and is increasingly the, the focus 
for for the this group of players as well. They're perfectly on track, and and that win over Spurs highlighted all of the aspects of this team that that make them so dominant. You know, two goals in two minutes. Spurs gave it a pretty good go. Uh, they they created chances themselves. Anka Trimberger made some good saves, but they've just got so much quality at the other end. Um, and they're so ruthless when they get chances that they're very, very difficult to to compete with. Yeah, Sam Kerr's found a goal-scoring touch. Great goal from Melanie Loopholes in that game as well. Means Chelsea are top of the table on goal difference with a game in hand on second place Manchester United. Chelsea play their League Cup semi-final against West Ham at Kings Meadow on Wednesday of this week. That's the 3rd of February. Emma Hayes, by the way, 16-1 to to be the next AFC Wimbledon manager. Uh, that'll just about do it for this week. Before we go, though, let's see what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Um, Simon, you were turning the spotlight on Tony Rudiger. Yes, um, one of the players that uh, has really benefited from Tuchel's arrival. Of course, Lampard had, in fairness, started bringing him back. He, he'd started started for the last five games of Lampard's reign, but he was very much uh, portrayed as public enemy number one. It seemed in light of um, Lampard's departure. Um, so I've written a piece, sort of trying to explain. Um, whether there was any truth in that, um, but but also the task that that awaits him really about trying to win over all the Chelsea fans. There's quite a few that have already issued apologies in light of uh, extraordinary social media um, claims and and speculation that were going on a few days ago. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a piece explaining about yeah the task that awaits him. Much like if you remember. Cesc Fabregas and Hazard and Costa were labelled as rats after Mourinho's second departure. Um, so yeah, that's well worth reading. Plus the the pieces with, I've done with Dom about Tuchel's first twenty four hours. There's, there's still that big read on on Frank Lampard's why it didn't work out. That's well worth a read. As for this week, uh, doing a piece on um, the backroom staff, um, Tuchel's trying to explain who these guys are. Uh, what they're doing, etc. Um, also going to be focusing on, uh, hopefully doing a piece on when's the good time to rest Tiago Silva. Um, it's, a, it's a question that Lampard had to deal with. Now it's Tuchel's turn to figure out what games, um, especially with the run-in and the importance of the games that are coming up, which games that Tiago Silva needs to be rested in and, and why that still remains crucial to the cause because, of course, he's one of Chelsea's best defenders. Certainly is. Um, how about you, Dom? Are you, are you all deadline daying it up today or have you got something else planned? I, I don't think many of the clubs that I'm looking at are very busy today, to be honest. I, I might I might get to surprise later on, possibly, but I think, I think the pandemic has really done for the drama of deadline day to a large extent. Um, I've got a few pieces on the go. Um, I'm looking to interview... Uh, a former Portsmouth and and uh, Palace midfielder Craig Foster, who Australian captain back in the day, but he's he's actually reinvented himself as a as a political activist, really down down under, um, campaigning for the rights of of refugees trying to get into Australia. A lot of them are being held in offshore camps at the moment, and he's he won the Order of Merit in Australia for his work on that in that field quite recently so I'm, I'm quite looking forward to to speaking with Craig um, I've also got a piece going up at some stage on uh, goalkeepers the psychology of goalkeepers who join clubs knowing they're not going to be playing they're going to be third or fourth choice 
um, and, and how they cope with that. And a few of them have been taken to some quite dark, um, in some quite dark areas, um, trying to cope with the, the reality that they don't get the release of a game at the weekend. Good stuff. Looking forward to reading that. How about you, Liam? Well, it's pretty hard to follow weighty <laughs> topics like that. Um, I'll be writing about Mason Mount and uh, and sort of trying to drill down more into what he offers Chelsea and, and why managers tend to trust him. Um, because I think a lot of the criticism of Mount, you know, aside from stupid accusations that he was Lampard's son, um, focus on the kind of relative lack of goals and assists and kind of those those baseline production numbers but there's, there's there are a lot of other good things he does to add value to a team so I'm going to be working with our um, analytics guys and digging down into the more advanced stats xg and more um, <laughs> to, to try and nail down what it is that that Mount does that's so valuable to a team and then I will be um, covering the Sheffield United game as well Super. Uh, Theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you're not currently a subscriber. You can sign up now by going to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and get the guys great coverage and all our podcasts ad free for just £3.99 a month for the first six months. That's less than a pound a week. Uh, many thanks to Simon, to Liam, to Dom and to producer Adonis for their company today. Mainly to you though, listeners. Stay safe, have a good week and we'll speak to you again soon. The Athletic.